0: good evening good afternoon good morning this evening's Dharma talk is called opening the eye mind opening the eye mind has to do with the visual consciousness I don't think I've given a talk on this on or it's been on YouTube or in this particular way so though I often do this in galleries in the Metropolitan and Detroit Institute of Arts, uh, KIA in Kalamazoo, Minneapolis, also other St. Louis um, museum out there, and a few other places. And the idea here is the eye mind or the visual consciousness is never really uh, free to look fundamentally at what is in front of it. It is, you could say, contaminated. Or under the, the, the control of the thought process, which means it is tied into opinions and ideas and, and, uh, and uh, beliefs, disbeliefs, all different kinds of avoidances that show up in the thinking process are thereby and also put onto whatever is seen. So you don't really, you don't really get to just see what's in front of you. You see what's in front of you, but immediately or perhaps uh, simultaneously, the thought process comes in and tells you what you see, what you don't see, what it means, if it has value, if it doesn't have value, and so on and so forth. And it's a, uh, shall we say rampant? The whole world is obstructed and confused by the attachment to other, the attachment to something else else nothing wrong with something else it's the attachment to something else that is uh problematic and causes everything from um, issues in your family with your relationships and with your your jobs uh, your co-workers and the whole country if somebody some particularly highly self-centered individual or, con, or or groups of individuals get together and decide that their personal ideas about who should do this and who should do that wanting to control everything the world control themselves they can't control themselves so they extend that out onto others this is what is happening with abusive parents it's not that they weren't abused also but they don't know the only way to get rid of that they don't have any training so they just abuse their own children um I don't need to go into that too much. You Know about it. The idea is to train your mind to do what? See clearly. That's that's the idea. So the eye mind, what I'm addressing here, if we were able to walk into a gallery and see artwork, paintings, and so on, what commonly, and this isn't true with everyone, but what commonly happens is we we look at something, a painting or a piece of artwork, and whether it's a realistic or impressionistic, expressionistic, or whether it's an abstraction or very close to abstraction, we quite often jump to conclusions about that. And one of them being, I don't know what the hell this is. I don't know what, what do they mean? What do they mean by that? There's no meaning uh, in any piece of artwork I may say it this way, that is separate from the artwork itself. Artwork is not saying something else. It is just using a language that we tend to translate from what is received visually into concepts about what we receive. And I'm not saying that isn't interesting. And sometimes art critics, um, writers that critique The production of others uh, criticize it or explain it extend on it elaborate on it and so on aren't helpful of course it could be very helpful and then they can also really cover up what is actually there quite often if it's a new uh, if a a particular artist is creating something revolutionary or radical or really new then uh, quite often the The critic can just not not understand because they don't have any. They're not doing that kind of production They're They're doing a kind of reception that is also aligned with the thinking process of right and wrong, up and down, proper uh, kind of aesthetic about the nature of art production and so on. So the exercises that I've been first started kind of coming out of my own frustration over When I went to the Art Institute back in the early 60s, I was pretty confused by what I was seeing there. I was young. I was 21 and and didn't really have any real help with that. I can say that all the, the teachers that I had, some of the instructors actually would have preferred to have been somewhere producing art instead of hanging out with a group of kids teaching them. There was a few teachers that were helpful, of course. So it was very difficult to get someone to help you radically with that, with your understanding. And of course, they didn't know how, and nor did I. So I just, uh, being a rather stubborn fellow, decided to sit down in front of a particular painting. I'd go up into the gallery, sit down in front of a particular painting, and just look at it for long periods of time. Not having any of idea of what I was looking at or what I was looking for, but I would just continue to look. And these, this kind of uh, moving the, the sense fields around with what I call the I-spot, in other words, what you look at. And then the A-spot or that a- aspect of peripheral awareness, which is uh, totally uh, uh, and completely under your uh, control. Uh, God, if I'm looking right at the center of the c- computer screen. I'm looking at uh, Terry. He's on my screen. He's right in the center. But I can move my a spot or peripheral awareness from this wall off to this side over to that wall, and I can I may, might not be able to see the detail, but I can basically see that there's a there's a print or a painting on the wall by Cezanne, and, and over here there's a there's a bookshelf uh, and, a, and a lamp and a few other things. When you are sitting down here, uh, writing as usual, and it's interesting that when you look right at something, and you can use any object; it doesn't have to be a painting. You look at a set a coffee cup in front of you or across the room, a few feet away. Look right at that, focus on that, on the texture of that, and then then actually move your peripheral vision without taking your eyes away from that object or that cup. Move your peripheral vision around and just. Basically, look all around the room. Just another way of doing the same thing. Only you're with a, with opening the eye and mind relative to a, a work of art. You're doing it within a particular what rectangle, more than likely, or a square, or, uh, something like that. So you're actually focusing on one spot, and you're moving around. One of the ways that I teach is to um, is to loosen that whole area up where the thinking process, the uh, the analysis. The judging and all that happens in the in the mind stream uh, where you loosen up its fixation or attachment onto what is being observed with the visual awareness and what you do is you introduce something into that situation that is visual rather than conceptual. <clears throat> And one of the ways, there's several ways, but one of the ways to do that is to alternate between uh, left and right uh, uh, peripheral vision. Use the A spot, which is, could be any, any movable spot, move that back and forth, back and forth. And you'll notice if you do that, that, that actually what you're actually looking at with your uh, organic uh, uh, mechanism we call the eyeball, what is, that is focused on, you'll notice that you really, that disappears. I mean, it's still there, and you're looking at it, but that the the uh, visual awareness actually backs its energy out of the eye organ uh, as a particular focus and into the eye organ generally, the one that is taking in everything at once. You will find that uh, this also happens in sitting practice of meditation, shikantaza, and also other forms of uh, very simple or a minimalist uh, meditation awareness practice, that we start to take in lots of things all at once without particularly being threatened by that. So as far as a kind of you could say art appreciation, like for instance, why is Picasso a genius and uh, somebody uh, you or someone else in an art school that produces paintings that are interesting are okay, but they're not works of genius what what's the differentiation there? Um, some people are actually born with the ability to just see this spontaneously. They can see the balance that is happening there. I'm going to use the word balance, although it may show up as as a organized uh, disruption. Tru permpu would refer to that as orderly chaos, in other words, it's chaotic but it's orderly, just like uh, the works of the the New York school painter, sometimes called a uh, action painter, uh, Jackson Pollock, who uh, uh, back in the 50s uh, left a brush and canvas painting for working on sheets of masonite and canvas too in his garage, and he would just dip a stick into a bucket of house paint and flip that around on the canvas, so just a radical way of uh, approaching uh, the creativity of bringing forms together in different ways so to look at that you would say it's chaotic but if you look closely at it and over a period of times, time one particular painting that's in that's in the uh, chicago uh, art institute's permanent collection called blue poles a stunning piece of work quite quite large and it's got to be 25 30 feet long at least 20 feet and it has uh, the only thing that's in it that has any kind of definition as an object would be these uh, somewhat vertical but off just a little bit pole shapes they are blue and then around that all this kind of lace work of paint that is being flung every every which direction and is very chaotic so the, interesting that you can look at something that is chaotic and yet still sense some kind of order orderly chaos So other things that can be done, uh, and we're not really set up here to, to do too much of a demonstration, so I'm just going to be talking about it. If you have an interest in this, uh, some of the people that are listening are already involved in, uh, and, and took the class today in, uh, in our, uh, what we call our ongo, the, the second day, where we focused on that a couple different times today. Not really, I don't really want to do that on uh, YouTube uh, because we don't have the time. So I would rather talk a little bit about and take questions from those of you, especially who have looked at paintings using this technique and may have some questions about it that would help me or us go deeper into this material of how to use an exercise that I'm calling Opening the Eye Mind. I think I first started teaching this, well, I started doing it in the 60s uh, in different ways that slowly got stronger and and especially got Went through a lot of transitions when I began to do sitting practice of meditation in 1973 under the, the guidance of Chogyam and Rinpoche, and uh, I think it was 19, probably 1998, that I began to to talk about uh, exercises. So it took a long time before I actually taught this as a class. 98, from then on, then I began to uh, teach it in. Uh, uh, museum setting or galleries or with actual paintings uh, which I would ha- either have reproductions of them and show the painting and then we would look at a particular area of the painting and move the consciousness around and when I say move the consciousness around it's the peripheral vision and peripheral vision is interesting because it's not just visual but you can, peripheral vision is also uh, tactile I can say to you right now be aware of your left foot no that's your right foot see See how that is? See how awareness is very tentative. You had to double check. Looking at something through visual awareness, rotating that, alternating that between what you see, I say, now look at the color red. Now move move the same awareness that's looking at this particular part of the painting, a uh, painting that has a, a red door or red shape in it. Say, now move that same awareness that's there to the back of your neck. And then when you do that a few times. Then the other question is the 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 investigation is in what happens to view, the view, viewing of the color red when you move the awareness to the back of your neck? Does it vanish? Does it diminish? Does it does it maybe not do anything? Are you able to do both of those at once? Everyone will be different in that area. And this shows you how incredibly radical, basic radical, each person's awareness is. the, the sovereignty of your awareness is is so incredibly. Uh, powerful and singular that it it adds to the illusion that there is a single self here called me me illusion and the only time you will find out more than likely unless you train your mind to look and unless you step onto in this case the spiritual path as it is taught by the, the historical buddha and those uh uh, in the lineage that come down through the centuries that carry this teaching from that 2500 year discovery to now, then uh, you won't know about that. actually so collapses and go back go back into you know, the elements of fire, earth, air, water. Then you'll, you'll realize, but then your whole dynamic is different. So uh, you won't mind. You'll just notice oh, that's interesting. I used to have a body. Or you may be so attached to the body that when the body, uh, when the body does go back into the elements, the attachment is so powerful that you you think you're still alive. This is called a ghost, or possibly something else, and that might last for a short period of time. And then one realizes one has passed on. Possibly, if there's enough openness, you might get help from those uh, consciousnesses that are in that intermediate state. And uh, are there other consciousnesses in Intermediate state? I don't know. I don't know anything for sure. And you don't need to know things for sure. If you know something for sure, it won't last. It's the very nature of relative truth. What shows up as a compounded event going down, it will collapse, it will come apart. It might take a thousand years. It might take uh, three days, but it won't last. all, All compounded things vanish. This is just the teaching of the Buddha, not something... Uh, This old man is impending. These same techniques of alternating awareness, there's a uh, practice I call uh, ASAP, alternating sense awareness practice, where you can move, uh, use your five sense fields, including the mind, uh, six, and you can move the awareness using a kind of interior uh, or exterior, for that matter, peripheral movement, Uh, aware of your feet, aware of the back of your head, aware of the the space in which thoughts occur. And that might seem pretty um, conceptual to you. But if you if you talk about it that way, then then it takes the, the thinking mind a while to come up with a structure. It can, and it will, because it wants to what control. The yeah, thinking mind doesn't want to be left out. It's like everybody's writing. All six sense fields are writing in a Nash Rambler in 1958. And the thinking process wants to drive. If you are in high school, you know what I mean. So and it's not the idea. The idea is to boot them out and don't let them do that, but just reprioritize it. Just just allow the, the seeing uh, consciousness to uh, hold forth. Allow, allow when you walk into a room, just see. Don't conclude. And if you do conclude, slowly through your awareness practice, hopefully you're doing sitting practice of meditation, sit down, hold still, look, at, gaze at the wall. Watch what moves, and train that prajna or that wisdom mind to see clearly what is in front of you. It's not a fancy feeling; You're not going to particularly feel sacred or holy or like some kind of a saint. You might feel like a farmer. You might be a farmer. So, by the, the very title of opening the eye mind, is saying that the eye mind is closed or shut down. And it's not so much that it's closed or shut down. It's just prioritizes it's in the back of the back seat. it's in the back of the bus. It has no say so, no authority. It's only used by the thinking process to help the thinking process sort out, evaluate, judge, and navigate through the world to enrich the self-centeredness or protect the self-centeredness or protect the extended self-centeredness, which are sometimes called children. It's just, it, it's it's quite an elaborate situation we have in civilizations and society. Not wrong. I'm not here to judge anybody's family or your your uh, your children. I had a bunch of those myself. So I'm just saying, you could look at it. You could consider the energy that goes this way or goes that way, that attaches to this, that detaches from, the, from that, or that you notice how you're attached to this and you can't quite detach because you struggle. You can't can't, anytime you struggle with anything, it's going to be difficult to uh, cut back on the attachment to it. The last thing I want to say about eye mind, I want to get this in because I think it's important and it's a difficult thing to put into words. But opening, uh, I'll ask myself the question: So why would you want to have an open your eye mind? What's the big deal there? You still go into a gallery and look at stuff. Uh, maybe someone does see things more clearly than you but so what still enjoy looking at this and looking at that you still have some enjoyment happening there and I would say yeah I would agree so I wouldn't I wouldn't object to what you're saying I would agree with that but I would say if you want to see more thoroughly what someone like uh, John Singer Sargent or for that matter Jackson Pollock or Pablo Picasso or Robert Motherwell Henry Matisse what they what what was it Van Gogh, what was it that that they were so incredibly uh, passionate about? You can see that you actually you might not be able to produce it. you might not be able to do what they did, but you can actually receive that or appreciate the incredible uh, power and energy and understanding visual visual intelligence. About paintings. We could be talking about music. We can go that direction, a little bit different, uh, situation, but that can, you can open the sound mind also. I haven't written a book on anything. So, <laughs> but it, it is, it is about looking at or listening to or seeing or smelling, tasting, touching, whatever is approaching and see the way the thinking mind wants, wants in. It wants to be the arbiter of everything. You can't smell anything without some damn commentary on. So and it's not that the commentary isn't valuable, uh, isn't uh, especially if you're smelling propane in your house. And, of course, so I'm not taking out all of the, the pragmatic aspects of consciousness. You're going to turn everything into some kind of a, a romance novel. I'm just saying that if you're if you see, uh, say, a painting by uh, Matisse that we were looking at today and see the depth and the, and the incredible. Uh, Uh, power and um, organization that is happening there. Uh, It's, it, it has a, uh, it resonates deeply, deeply and emotionally, uh, at least with me. And uh, I suspect with others, it's, it's a, it's a hidden area. I go to a gallery and I I notice all the people that are in looking at things and they people will come and look at a painting and, maybe a comment, maybe not, and walk on to the next painting. There's no way you can look at anything, especially if it's something you've never seen before and that somebody's dedicated their whole life to, that you can give it 30 seconds or a minute and know what was in front of you. It might as well not even be there from the point of view of what you were understanding. So anyway, I would just say it's it's a... It's worth it to spend some time in that area just from the point of view of appreciating visual art, not to mention uh, training your mind through the sitting practice meditation to uh, see the, the insanity of struggle. It's not about giving up and never struggling again. It's about watching the struggle. You can't push struggle away. You can't just get rid of the struggle. You can't get rid of the anxiety. You can't get rid, get rid, get rid. What you can do is look at what. What is happening in terms of that energy, same thing with the eye mind, look at the chaos and look at it until you see the fundamental order of that situation. Just another way of talking about it. And when you do uh, because of the the very uh, teaching of dependent origination, Pratitya Samudbhbada, the Buddha taught and has been taught by others in different ways that there's no, there's no, Nothing comes from its own side as a singular thing, it has a singularity to it, like this body-mind does, like these brushes over here, like this uh, a rupa of the Buddha. But it's not separate from, ev- from everything else. Uh, my simple way of saying it is uh, this once was, was in, in prison. This piece of wood was in prison. It was inside of a tree. And somehow, I wasn't there and didn't witness it, but somehow it was taken out of that tree and presented as a, a wooden dowel. And then I cut it to this shape. And then this, uh, this gong, someone had to make that and hammer that, bring that together. It had to enter this room. It had to be carried. It had to be paid for. Causes and conditions are extremely complicated trail uh, that brings various things together. So this has no existence by itself. It has to come from the relative situation all around us, including trees, including someone to to have a hand. This hand is dependently arisen, And so, therefore, that can happen, which is something that has nothing to do with trees, nothing to do with something moving through space. And nothing to do with a, an iron bowl. Just into a different dimension. So the interdimensionality of everything, is that's a very simple form of it. it it's, it's consistent, persistent, and uh, interpenetrating. It's, it's a totality. There's a book by Garma Sisi Chang called The Buddhist Teaching of Totality that addresses that very idea nothing being separate in a little dip, a little bit different way so there's a lot of room for questions here uh, I'm, i didn't know i was going to present this uh, but i didn't i wanted to do it just by talking about it rather than going towards paintings because then we get involved in uh, um, a lot longer session was a question up there but i can't see? Yes. is there an yes. objective
1: balance when you say that we could see A painting, is that objectively balanced bowling.
0: So the way you train for this, and uh, I can say this in a lot of different ways, and I'm I'm delighted to respond to any question you have in this area, because it's it's so uh, convoluted that it's very easy to think you're hearing one thing when actually I'm saying something else. And what I'm saying here is you have to look at the imbalance. To go at something and try to balance something, is workable, but that's a mundane path to take something that's out of balance and balance it. Take something that's cold and make it warm. Take something that's red and make it blue. Take something that's big and whittle it down. I mean, it's just a, but to see what this is, what fundamental balance is, it seems necessary to get out of the way. And how do you get out of the way? Out of the way, you have to see how you're interrupting or changing or meddling with the very thing that is is perfectly balanced. So I'm not sure if I addressed your question, but you can try again.
1: Geez, I'm buying. Well, when you you talk about a masterpiece, um, there's a sense of balance with the shapes and the colors. And I'm just wondering, in that sense, is a masterpiece, universally a masterpiece, is it inherently balanced? Or is that, well, that's
0: my question. Thank you. Well, that's a good question. What seems to happen, whether it's a piece of music, whether it's uh, a cheesecake, or whether it's, uh, whether it's a painting, uh, it seems that what you're seeing, hearing, eating, the actual situation, the fundamental apparent singularity of that transcends and extends beyond all the parts that seem to make it up. You can't take those parts and add them together and get that kind of uh, magic. It's called ordinary magic, which is what my teacher referred to it as because it's like it shouldn't be magical, but it is. It's, It's ordinary. It's just an ordinary situation, but it transcends heaven and earth and it does it right in front of you and you can't you're tongue-tied when you see it because you, you can't you can't say that and if you get really upset about not being able to say it you'll probably start writing poetry because you think this needs to be said and then when you write poetry you realize that uh the very definition of poetry as far as i'm concerned is uh, failure with language not successful uh, Shakespeare, uh, or uh, uh, E. E. Cummings, or uh, whomever, uh, even musicians John Philip Sousa didn't really were never really particularly satisfied with anything they produced, but they just kept producing. And so, like one of your one, an author that you really like there uh, as a writer is Stephen King. And Stephen King is a is a particular genre of writer, but yet he's his own genre. There isn't anybody that produces work like he does that I know of, and I've read everybody that writes in that way. But it's pretty astonishing, and that same kind of uh, uh, were ability to to just produce things that are almost magical. They're so they're real, and yet they're it's a total lie, as Picasso once said that art is the lie. That reveals the truth, but so it's a big lie. But it reveals the truth. But it won't reveal the truth to you unless you uh, here uh, yeah, again. In this way, I'm pretty biased in this area. Unless your eye mind is open, unless you're able to be just totally visual for a split second or ten seconds, just just receive more about that, uh, on or anyone else. Terry Bowley. Terry,
1: when we did the exercise earlier, you. You, you asked look for uh, any uh, uh, I it was a lot of live beings and are those our production only or would the artist
0: see those as well the creator Probably. okay so uh, this was in the uh, exercise we did this afternoon or this morning very this this afternoon specifically with, when we did it with Mayon's painting yeah you and- said asked.
1: Now
0: look for the live beings. Yeah, living beings.
1: I think that's the correct language.
0: I don't know if I use living beings or not.
1: Mm-hmm. Or living beings. Yeah. I believe, yeah, living
0: beings. Yeah. Well, that's what I was seeing. So, is it, are those living beings our production only? Or are we actually seeing any art as it is? Any um, time? Okay, it's, it's not that simple. It would that, yeah. it, that if it was that simple? This would be. Even this world would be even more boring than it is. Uh, Any time something arises, it goes away. Nothing uh, is permanent. All compounded things, including uh, phantoms or ghosts or spirits or the li- kind of living being that I'm talking about—living spirit—is there's living. Living spirits are in her work. I don't know if she's here It's pretty late past her bedtime here. she's probably sound asleep in Brittany. So she's probably not here, but her, her work is pretty amazing. <coughs> that doesn't mean she's necessarily going to be famous. There are people who are incredible, incredible artists who nobody knows about the person who ordained me, uh, Shoho, Mike Newhall, that I met at the Art Institute of Chicago. We were both art students there. I was 22. He was 18. He's not a compliment for Michael. He doesn't need compliments, but he's a a powerful, uh, powerfully creative painter. And it's interesting, his teacher and my teacher, Coben, uh, Coben told him, (laughs) he says, stop painting, don't paint. And he and he, said, and he would say, "Well, I, I really want to paint." He says, "Well, just be a Sunday painter. Don't don't display in galleries or anything." And he disobeyed him. He went ahead and displayed anyway. And uh, it's interesting. I'm telling tales on Shoho here, but uh, he also there was some of that. He was a uh, he was very uh, Shoho's never been married, um, but he was in a relationship with uh, someone in uh, Boulder. Well, oh, probably twenty. Twenty years ago, before Coben passed, Coben wanted—he really liked her—and he, I think, he wanted uh, Shoho to marry her, but they broke up.
2: <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> Please excuse me for uh, digressing a little bit there, but but Shohoo was a, an incredibly gifted. He's the person I met. Uh, he was eighteen; I was twenty-two, and that's when I, that's when I began to find out what uh, what it was like uh, to uh, for someone who was. Because I knew him, I wasn't able to produce that kind of work, but he was, and still is. Further questions about anything at all about the spirit situation or anything you want to ask about? Terry Bone is, and, and this is this is a new realm for me, so there's some confusion
1: around it. Um, so, is it fluid? Because I saw live beings, living beings, and beings. I saw. So, is it fluid? Is it changing? With perception yes. or or what
0: is that oh it's it's changing yes and and everyone everyone's uh reception uh, or, or uh, allowing that to come forward is uh, will have a different kind of uh, some people would just look at that and just poo-poo the whole thing and it's not worth it they're not interested in that they'd rather you know uh, I don't know do something else which is not invalidating what what I'm referring to here, it's just a different a different way of working with the mind. If you're here and you're listening to this on YouTube, it could be different. But if you're here in the, in the Zoom room, then you probably are a meditator and have an interest in doing this unless you're just checking it out. So I'm, I'm not too concerned uh, other than uh, if you're not a meditator, it'll be more difficult to understand what it is I'm uh, endeavoring to address through opening the eye mind. Not that you couldn't. But it seems necessary to have, because uh, otherwise you've got a you've got awareness that is that is not very sharp. It's more like a butter knife, and you've got a you've got to cut through some uh, Munster. That was the cheese, not the beast. So you need to sharpen that blade. And how you're going to sharpen that blade? Just a metaphor, just an image, is to sit down and with nothing uh, nothing to cut, nothing to think about, particularly. Unless thoughts arise, then fine. But sit down, hold still, and so that, the, so that the awareness can become honed, which is like a blade. Prajna is the two-edged two, two sword of uh, Manjushri you know, that cuts through self and other. It doesn't kill anything. It wasn't there in the first place. But it cuts through the, the fixation on a me and a self, the suffering, and the fixation on uh, that and them and other and enemy and friend and everything. It just doesn't change it. It, what happens is your perception of it has finally been clarified. You actually see what is there. You see what is here. You see what is there. This uh, whole thing, uh, this uh, opening the eye mind is just, uh, uh, I mean, it's important, but it's uh, it seems to be necessary. Besides working with opening the eye mind, I didn't really understand what I was dealing with until I be- began sitting meditation in 1973. Before then, I w- it was still an intellectual process for me it helped me because i would sit very still and look at something for hours and do nothing but just look at it and notice how confused i was so you could say you might say i was doing some some kind of rudimentary meditation back then so anything can show up you might look at you might look uh, if you were to talk to Mayun about her paintings she, i'm not getting it from her i'm getting it from the painting but also she she sees that she's a extremely intuitive woman you
3: bow? yes a comment and a question from Vishal in san jose he says with mr newhall in a session in march at jikoji he sent a deep bow to you <laughs> and his question is how do i stop the eyeballs from moving crazily during the sit. They go wild. It's very uncomfortable.
0: Okay. I can, well, for one thing, uh, sit a lot, an hour a day plus, and try to do some block sitting or some extended sitting or a session or, uh, some way of extending the period of time that you're holding still. Don't maintain the stillness with some kind of rigidity or some kind of macho approach to it. Sit as still as you can and be reasonable. You got to get up, get up. But when you get up, then watch that movement. So watch what moves. This is shikantaza as I teach it, not as uh, Shoho teaches it, uh, not as a lot of Zen priests teach. So, so uh, just uh, just observe what's moving, and that may be your body getting up to go to the bathroom, or uh, get a, a cup of tea or something, and coming back. Watch the movement. Set up a time. Set up a form. Strike the gong. Stay there for four hours, unless you have to move. <clears throat> and then, as far as the eyeballs moving around, just observe that. That will not last. It might go for quite a ways. Uh, that's uh, in the uh, you know the Indian tradition. That would just be called kriyas. Kriyas are just movements. They're spontaneous movements when you start to bring the mind down to a radical. Uh, aspect of consciousness, then all of the things that have been shut down on start to spin. Just a way of talking about it. I have no idea what's happening. I've just been looking at it for a long time. And that's how it appears. It looks like if you don't meddle with it, if you don't push it, don't pull on it. Push is aggression. Pull is passion or grasping or shut down, and that's ignorance. Insofar as you can, don't do any of those things. And of course, the path to not doing any of those things can be an excru- 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 excruciating journey of seeing how helpless we are and in, 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 uh, in the presence of such an incredible energy that wants something else, that grasps and fights. Uh, as Trumper Rinpoche once said, make friends with yourself. Uh, that's, that's difficult because quite often we are not happy with ourselves. We wanna get rid of ourselves sometimes. So the eyeball moves. Just observe. That's just, that's your Dharma gate. Sit down, hold still. Your eyeballs are uh, going around. Uh, I presume your eyes are open. If you're doing shikantaza, your eyes should be open. Um, and one of the ways to intercept that a little bit is hold them still for a very short period of time without struggle. So pick a spot on the wall, which probably is going to be something there, and hold them very still. As soon as they start to push to move, let them go. Maintain nothing. I only meditated for a little over 30 years, probably 35 years before that started to become something I began to talk about for those people who had an interest, Don't maintain anything. Most uh, people in the Buddhist lineages are maintaining something, trying to hold still, trying to do shamatha practice, trying to do shine, sit down, hold still, and just be peaceful. (laughs) And use the breath, use a technique to make yourself be peaceful, which is surface-like instead of actually going into the warfare itself, going into the eye movement rotating and just look at it. Just like you might have to go into hell. Uh, might have to go into uh, the, that aspect of the mind that is just difficult. Do it anyway. Who you actually are, your true self, your true nature is absolutely n- not threatened by anything can't kill who you are can't destroy who you are but you have to you have to see who you are so that there are no doubts if you have doubts you have work to do and the kind of certainty that you get there is not about evidence there's no proof uh, proof is about relative truth and all proof is partial even the most intense proof that puts someone what in prison or
1: One of the things I noticed during practice today is just how flooded with thoughts I was when I was supposed to be looking at a painting and those thoughts may not have even been related to the practice. How does looking at that deluge of thoughts help change the relationship to visual consciousness?
0: Look, you just said it. You're aware of how busy your mind is, but your mind was that busy before you started practicing this. And then, when you start practicing this, where there's some kind of tension there—in other words, some kind of discipline that you're going to go along with—you're giving, you're agreeing. Okay, I'm going to try to do this. Then you begin to notice the disruption that you had been shutting down on previous to that. It's the situation is very simple, but extremely difficult to understand deeply as it is with uh, and and withhold particularly any kind of meddling with it. Don't fix it. Don't correct anything you see that is off, eyes moving, uh, thoughts are storming all over the place. Do not. Don't do anything with it. Just observe. Just observe it. It's, it's the, the most challenging, uh, most difficult kind of awareness practice. And it is also the kindest. kindness. Yes.
2: Maria has a question in the chat box. She
0: asks, "What makes the chaos on the painting orderly?" Uh, the the chaos is the is seeing the, the conventional idea of things being all mixed up and uh, and and not orderly in the, the the commonly understood sense of the word, but yet the deep, deep perception of it shows that it's that it's completely balanced and orderly. It's absolutely gorgeous from the point of view of its entirety. Uh, Trying to think of a good example that would, as far as a painting, um, a good way to work with this possibly would be to take a painting that is uh, quite disturbed in its appearance. Uh, Any one of the German Expressionists are really intense, uh, primary colors that are kind of at war with each other, have a lot of tension. And the, 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 the way the human form is worked with there is, uh, depending on, the, uh, on which painter it is, uh, 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 Kirchner's paintings or uh, uh, coming to mind, but just look up German Expressionism and go in there and find a, uh, a piece or a work that has some, some kind of obvious distortions right away and then spend some time with that. Come back in three days, look at it again. Come back and do the exercise on it of uh, using the eye spot. Look at the center of the piece and then uh, move your awareness back and forth uh, between this end and that end. Maybe uh, the color, maybe the shape of a, a bowl that's sitting on a table. And down here, there's an edge of a pic- picture frame that are uh, opposite ends. And there's maybe a figure in the center that you can use as the. you know, this is just a, a technique. The technique isn't going to do it. What, what the technique is about is to get your awareness that is a, uh, always wandering with no form at all, and it 's just totally uh, sur- uh, subservient to the thinking process it 's to move it in such a way that the thinking process can 't track that so the thinking process is going to be uh, upset in different ways and you know, the way it, one of the ways it 'll be upset is to throw up all kinds of random thoughts about everything anything to distract you from the the work of doing this i 've had several people say not just uh, uh jews on but other people say this is just difficult this is hard to do this this just doesn't feel good i get sick or i get yeah i know i understand that so the body mind are not two separate things they just look like it but they are not the mind and the body are completely synchronized it's just a good example of orderly chaos it's chaotic because it's we can't even find the mind. We can't even find thoughts. And yet that thing that we can't find, that we kind of agree that we all have them, but we can't say what it, we can't see the front of a thought. We can't see the back. We can't see the waistband. We can't actually see the thought, but we experience it. That's because the, the actual dimension that it is in is uh, not viewable. It's not a visual dimension, as long as the body mind is here obstructing that. But when the body mind goes away, then then you have what's commonly called the astral body. So it's it's, from the point of view of physics or any of that, it's very complicated and most scientists don't want to look at it because there's not enough proof there. They need things where they can squeeze it and then they can do another study. Yeah, I squeezed that, you squeezed that, we all got orange juice, must be an orange. Whereas this, because of the very nature the very nature of phenomena, or uh, the very ontological status of any given thing, does not show up the same way in different consciousnesses. Ontological status is my way of saying I don't have a degree. <laughs> yes, so. So, Ram.
3: So, Ram, bowing. Uh, can we apply the practice of opening the eye mind to eye gazing with another person?
0: Yeah. Bowing. Yes, you can. Uh, sometimes looking, uh, and you're sitting down, in and in, in, as you know, in our uh, in our particular lineage, if two people have difficulty, whether they're if there's some kind of communication going on, two people who are a Sangha brother and sister or brothers or sisters or, or even with the, the teaching person, sit down, hold still, bow to each other and sit still and look at eye gaze for a few minutes and then begin to talk about what your issue is. There's a much, a much more, uh, has much more, uh, draws on the basic equanimity that everyone has of wanting to be, uh, agreeable, wanting to resolve uh, difficulties and stress, even though we might not feel like it's going to as much of a chance because we're either blaming ourselves or blaming others or blaming situations or or probably accusing somebody of something. But all evidence is partial. And if you buy into any kind of evidence, even though it's relatively correct, that person did uh, steal your lunch money. So even though it's relatively correct, it's ultimately uh, a lie because everything is dependent on arisen. There is no lunch money. There is no yours. There's no fundamental ownership. Ownership is relative. And as long as you know that, then you can go ahead and own stuff and have other people own stuff. And if you see that, you'll, like it says in the, in the six, or the 10 prohibitory precepts, uh, not, don't steal. It doesn't mean that, that what you're looking at doesn't belong to you. Of course it does, but it's in the place it needs to be. You should leave it there unless you have permission to move it. So it's a very odd kind of way of uh, uh, talking about that. And if you were to sit down and uh, look at someone, one of the eye movements you can use is a depth of field. You can move your your focus from three inches in front of their face to right in the center of their head to three inches behind their head. You can actually just change your focus. You're still looking at them. You're just not being hypnotized by their eye contact. Sometimes the eye contact of one person is much more intense than the eye contact of others. Some people it's very difficult. They they might not know it. Some people to look right in their eyes because of the force of that uh, energy. You could call it psychic energy. Give it all kinds of names. Call it a, uh, a giant panda. I mean, whatever you call it, it's still that. It's still some people uh, have that ability to to kind of mesmerize you. They're not really mesmerizing you, but it's hard to think when you look at them, and if you can't think, then it's hard to have a conversation with someone. <laughs> I like that smile. <laughs> that is a smile, isn't it? That's not a smirk. Okay. Oh, good. Good. Further question about that, if you have it, that's a very good one because uh, I think it's it's perfectly all right to look at someone and move your gaze there, your eyes. No one has a has any kind of a control over what you do. You've already sat down. You're with them. You can look at their clothing. Uh, you could look, look in their eyes and use uh, peripheral vision to just look at their shape. So you're there. You're looking right in their eyes, but there's no focus on the eyes. You're taking in their entire form. Or you might move your awareness from... Uh, their form over to how what, what how your form feels. You might go back and forth between. At the same time, you're carrying on a conversation with uh, with them about uh, Samu meeting and whose job it was to clean the uh, the toilets on the main floor. And at the same time, you're you're present in that room. You're there. You are you are receiving the feeling of that energy, that person, their shape. their you're receiving how. You feel as an embodied being, all of this is uh, apparent to you. There's no credential. You're not going to get a pat on the back from um, the bodhisattvas of the Ten Directions and the Three Times. But you're not separate from them either. Well, it's, it's a powerful. Further question on that, Sopran?
3: Thank you. No, that was helpful. Bowing. Anna Maria Bowing. Anna Maria. Um, can, can the practice um, be applied to literature? Um, for example, you're not really seeing, it's not a visual, but you are
2: imagining
3: as you read through the detailed descriptions and the images that it that comes up, and also the texture of dialogue. Um, how would you? How would you work
0: with that? Take, with that yeah, deconstruct it without any purpose. So deconstruct it. So take it apart. Take apart uh, and try to look at the parts as much as you can, and then you may come up with a uh, with a way of doing that. I've thought about that myself, but I am not ready to teach anything on that. But I would say deconstruct it. Take a particular piece of work uh, that you. A piece of poetry or something that you enjoy or that you have a, a strong connection with that you've read several times and use that and and find out how when you read that, uh, when you recite that, when you say it out loud, when you, uh, however you're relating to that, notice what happens in the conscien- consciousness by way of, of a grasping or rejecting or assuming or owning or any kind of barriers that are showing up in that area. You might find a way to rotate between the sound of the words and what the words mean. There's a big gap there that we tend to smush together because those are the word, the, the written word, and the sound are just uh, symbols for something else. Yet they're, they're actually what, they're, they are what they're symbolizing. But to begin to understand that might take some work. So, yes, I would say uh, that could be done.
3: So there's, there's working with language, I think that's what you were saying. Uh, yeah. and, then, and then there's working with images. Let's say you're reading something and there's a description, a scene, a drive, and it's very detailed. How can one work with those images in the same way? and then something else that they're describing opening the eye mind when you're sitting in front of a painting
0: uh, i would start out by by instead of uh trying to stay in the in the painting or in the novel or in the poem uh, i would take uh in and out of that by into the uh apparent work of art or production you're talking about uh, the the poem or the story or the paragraph or, or the writing uh, and rotate uh, awareness out of being in that world, and bring and bring that awareness back and forth into that world, and even flash on how the body feels gravity. Uh, quite often, when we're reading or watching a movie or something, we totally ignore that there's a gravity that we're here. We're not floating up in the air. There's, there's a force that is holding us in place, so we can even read the book. So the uh, best initially until in or the pull that is in, in the writing or in the book. So you can understand that first through your own form and the form that is showing up as language and as sound. I remember when I was very, I told you a story before, I think, uh, Anna Maria, but when I was very young, uh, probably in the eighth, ninth or 10th grade, I remember there was, uh, the only languages that were in the high school I was in was I think Spanish and French. And I remember thinking, why would anybody, we have English. Why does anybody want to learn to speak anything else and and now of course i'm totally fascinated by languages all, all the time every language even ojibwe
3: thank you
0: thank you yes
3: when you're bowing um were you going to say something about content repetition
0: i was thank you so Unyo uh, just reminded me about something I'd mentioned earlier about a uh, practice uh, has to do with opening the eye mind that I can just tell you about, and if you want to do this, uh, you, I can help you with it. You'd have to contact me, or maybe I can. If there's enough people interested, I could uh, have a class on it. I think I, ha- I think there's only one. I only have one student that's actually doing this right now, and I think it's uh, so N. and it is a uh, contact uh, content repetition. So you come up with a an object. Like it, I think she's drawing pictures of the Buddha, isn't that true, Sowande? Yep. She said, "Yep." That's <laughs> a, yep. That's a Sanskrit for uh-huh. And uh, uh, so the idea there is, you do you do a thousand drawings, and you get a notebook, and you you put either uh, anywhere from uh, three to five on a page, and you you number them and when you put make a number you actually put a box or a circle around the number so if you open up anywhere in there you can see 36 37 38 and then there uh, on then there's a drawing of anything from a pear which is like a shape like this with a stem and maybe a leaf or something that is a pear that has all the texture on it and has a not necessarily color but i suppose it could be or uh, quite elaborated and quite and, and sitting on a tabletop with a shadow and so on. And uh, and the idea there is to take the same content and continually just hammer away at that content until you have a breakthrough uh, that shows you the difference between form and content. And form and content are the glue between those two, or uh, you can't pry them apart. And you won't even know that there was such a thing until they come apart. And uh, and then do a thousand. Uh, I've only had one student. I don't think uh, you know, I've had only one student do over nine hundred. And, uh, and then he stopped. And most people stop at where did you stop at? Way right below that. Three yeah, hundred. Unyo did it years ago. It's three hundred. And one of her uh, granddaughters did four hundred and what four hundred and fifty um, fish. And she was only what ten. 450 fish, absolutely beautiful drawings of fish. So it's just a way to, the repetition tends to get you to not be so precious about your drawing. And it also gets you to uh, to just uh, work with the consciousness, the way the consciousness and the, the, the eye, the hand, the, the production part. So that way uh, you're receiving in your mind stream what you want to draw the content and then every time you draw it, you may draw it a little bit differently. Even if you tried to do, make a very realistic drawing, very difficult to do anything twice. You, you just can't do anything twice. You'll, even though you're having this lifetime, you'll never have another one like, like this one. Probably the next one will be a lot worse.
3: Yeah. Sorry. And isn't the idea to not, like you say, make them precious drawings? You're not trying to
0: That's the idea. ponder over them. Yeah, uh, and I, when I'm looking at them, I'm not looking for your best drawing. Uh, and I would like to, you know, if you decide to do this uh, after you've done a few hundred, I'll take a look at them and give you a little bit of feedback on it. But it won't be the kind of feedback of these are good and this is bad. Try to do this, try to do that. It'll just. But by looking at it, I'll be able to tell where you're at as far as your attachment to form. And you can't produce form if you're attached to it. It's like you can't have a child if you're attached to a child. You have to. The child has to be born, and that's why it's painful. And you could also say, Yeah, like you know. <laughs> Content repetition. Any questions about that or from anyone, including uh, uh, Sokoen, if you have a question about it?
2: Sokoen Bowing. Does this develop over time, the way in which we draw our chosen object? Is there a progression?
0: Uh, There's the illusion of progression. So uh, there's no progress. Progress is, uh, even though General Electric made billions saying progress is our most important product from the 1950s, uh, they were liars. Their most important product was money in their pocket. And you all know that. I don't need to tell you about corporations. But there is no progress. Progress is, is an imputation about things. Not, not There's no actual progress. It doesn't mean that, it, that a, looking at a tree, a plant, that's a little plant outside that slowly goes into a tree, that there isn't some kind of change happening there. But it's not not progress. Progress... Though you could describe it that way, it tends to get in the way of what's actually happening, which is dependent origination, and not singularity, no ownership. Disagree with me? I'll 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 probably agree with you. (laughs) Yes.
3: I asked the question earlier, and you told me to ask it tonight. I did. How do I see? What it is that I'm
0: fighting with? So I'm going to say it in a, a simple way, and there's other ways. And if there are other questions around this, I would be happy to address them, and and also more further questions from you. But it seems to be find a form where where you where you are as stable as you can be without going to war, and that's why that what a monastery is. You sit down, you hold still, and you have. Uh, sangha or community, other people doing the same thing. You have a teaching that happens in our monastery every day and you study together with other uh, monks or lay ordained people or people that don't even have ordination, study these incredible teachings coming from ancient times. Some of the texts we work with are thousands of years old. And you study that material. And, And as you've heard me say many times, it's not about understanding what you're studying. It's about studying. Understanding what you're studying is about colleges and universities that give degrees. There are no degrees here. And there are also no tests other than the tests you might give yourself. There's no no balancing one one person who's smarter than the other. And that's uh, not helpful to do that. So that being the case, you have that kind of a structure and you live here. You've lived here for years. I would say just continue to do. Just don't give up. Keep going to the cushion, sit down, look at the wall, deal with the negativity. When I say deal with it, just receive the negativity as much as you can, as a little, as much reception as possible, and as little production as possible. And you, you probably won't be able to control that, but you can at least register it. And if you register that you're receiving the negativity, which might be, seem like it's being pushed onto you, uh, you, 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 if you're doing that and you're just letting it, not, in other words, not fighting with it, you're just observing that that's happening, coming from whatever kind of source, then notice how much you produce out of that. If you're producing like blame of others uh, or blame of yourself or blame of the situation or just being upset about why this, why me or those kind of uh, simple responses to unreasonable emotions that tend to arise in the mind stream of lots of people. Quite often, if you take that to a psychiatrist or a therapist, they will uh, not always, but quite often they will just give you medication, not meditation, medication. And you know, I would even say, as you've heard me say before, maybe that's what you need to do. I don't know. I don't have the corner of of truth on anything. It just doesn't look like that. I think there's other. I think you can do this yourself with your mind. It just we might not be able to do it in a couple of years just don't, don't give up. I'll never give up. I can't give up. There's no way I can give up. Thank you. Thank you. We can dedicate the merit now and uh, we can all go to bed. (laughs) Take a nap. And thank you all for coming together and studying this material.
2: penetrate into all places, so that we and every sentient being together realize in the best way. she samo, samo, direction the three worlds, all buddhas, all and ones, once, Bodhisattvas, Mahasattvas, the great Prajna, Paramita. Bodhisattvas and Bodhisattvas in the ten directions, seven three times, please hear us. Please come down out of the light and protect Sopopoji. Temple Monastery. Our song of families, friends, and visitors. Heal
3: everyone who is unhappy, sick, or suffering in place.